Hello, and welcome to Good Film Hunting, the podcast where two sisters living in different parts of the country talk about their favorite movies with family and friends um, from their childhood. So we have a very special guest today and a very special movie that I personally have wanted to talk about for a long time. So I'm going to hand it over to Eleanor to introduce. I also didn't know that this was something that you really felt strongly enough that you wanted to talk about. Oh, so that's for sure. Um, <laughs> so our guest today is Denise McKenna, who is a film scholar, and I will, Denise, if you could talk a little bit about like your background and your specialization, that would be very exciting. Hi, um, thank you for having me. This is uh, loads, it was so interesting because I've just recently come around to podcasts and they've kind of seeped into my life in a way I would not have anticipated. So I'm kind yes. of, I'm really into podcasts, so this is interesting to be part of one. Um, see how it happens. <laughs> and um, so my background is in film studies. I have a PhD in film history. Um, I work, I sort of research mainly early film history, early uh, American industry, film industry, and uh, it's a sort of relationship to Los Angeles and sort of like the prehistory of Hollywood in some ways. And I'm also really uh, sort of after the whole Harvey star stories this week, I'm, um, my whole feminist thing is just like, it's just there. So you can say I'm a feminist film scholar. Yes. Um, and Love Harvey it. Point, really reminded me of that. Uh, so anyway, um, not to get political. Uh, anyway, uh, what else are you? Well, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's sort of varied, but, uh, but you're a mom, have, which is awesome too. I'm a mom. Yes, I have. I have a, a little girl um, who doesn't like watching movies. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah, there's some deep psychology there. I don't know uh, how to figure that out yet. Um, but yeah, no, I'm a huge pop culture fan as well. So I work on a lot of my research is early, uh, the early film industry. But I'm like, you know, I love action films and uh, Game of Thrones. That's where I'm at. Doctor Who. I like really silly. TV show <laughs> all over the place. Ugh, excellent. Well, Annie is also Annie is a fifth grade teacher, so I am. around ish. Oh, can you explain my daughter to me? <laughs> uh, I mean, I actually have done like a lot of reading about like a fifth grader's mindset because it takes a whole lot of patience to deal with them, you know, and it's a lot easier when you understand the way their brain works. Um, Does their brain work? Oh, I should, she's going to hear this and I'm going to that out because I'll be in such trouble. There's some interesting so things funny. going on with this age group, for oh, sure. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, their brains do work, but it's, they just, it's so interesting because they can only really think about themselves. Um and it makes sense developmentally, but it's very frustrating as a teacher because you're like, you are literally making my life horrible. Can't you just stop? And they're like, but it's not what I want to do, you know? And I don't know. Yeah, they're fun. They're sort of, they're working through a lot. I have, yes. I, I have, as I have observed, there's a lot going on. But you got, like, she's in sixth grade, so we've been through fifth. Um, you guys, you should get a medal every day. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm waiting for one in the mail eventually. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, okay, well, we should get started. Um, so we always start our um, Good Film Hunting podcast by talking about 
our favorite pop culture thing from this week. So um, does someone want to get started? Have anything in mind? Uh, well, no, you go ahead, please. I would say kind of a dual trend. This week I've, this, I would say within the last week, now a week and a half, um, so, so much of the cultural conversation has been around Harvey Weinstein, obviously, particularly, I would say, in Los Angeles. And so it'd be interesting, Amy, like you've felt if that conversation has occurred nearly every day or every other day because there's not there has not been a day in los angeles since the story first broke a week ago last thursday so a week and a half where it hasn't come up somehow organically i would say even in conversations with non-film people etc um but there's been like a couple articles around it that i've really appreciated there was one in the new yorker by a woman i want to say her name is Gia Tolentino, and it was specifically about how young women are prey, and it was an attempt to explain how how or why women will work with or maintain relationships with an aggressor or an assaulter, and I thought that it was like very clear and concise in a way that I've never seen it written out before, and I was like, wow, to have the forethought to or to have like the presence of mind to be able to describe this so clearly, I thought was really well done. And then similarly, the New York Times Daily Podcast um, a week ago had, or earlier this week maybe, had an episode where the leader of the, the head of the podcast interviewed, who was like a lower key actress who was one of the women who's spoken out against Harvey Weinstein. And it was incredible the way she described it. And it was also more than like oddly comforting because the way she described the encounter all about the veneer of respectability that's like kept just enough to make you feel like you're the crazy one, which is I think a common theme among women to be like, oh, this made me feel really uncomfortable. It shouldn't have been the case, but I don't know how to describe it other than like the way he moved towards the door was not oh. how it should have been. Yeah, and if you a lot of times yeah. describe that to someone else, especially someone who's not a woman, idea that like, oh, like you're just projecting. And by both this article and by this woman, how they were able to explain it so clearly. I get you. Um, and now that's been an interesting kind of offshoot of this whole scandal, I thought. Yeah, the way brought so many, and all these stories start circulating that, you know, it's like a, I don't know if it's a funnel or if it's the other way or how it is, but all of a sudden there's this place to, to, to for these stories to collect. Like there's a reason for them to, they have some place to go. Um, and there's, there's the collective nature of it, right? People can speak out because they're not one lone crazy person out there saying, he, you know, he moved towards a door, which just sounds like nuts it, in and of itself. Although we understand, we understand what it means, but then it's hard to come out and, and talk about that. I don't know. Uh, so that's, that's really interesting. I read the Manola Dargis. I, this has been the, my, the pop story for me this week is all about Harvey Weinstein, the 
there's a, a, a Manola Dargis sort of critique in the New York Times that's very good, sort of talks about the history of like how these power structures validate men in Harvey Weinstein's position, like he's a throwback to an old studio boss and there's sort of this romanticized ethos around him, which allows and has allowed him to get away with all this kind of abuse because um, he had a system like it was it just it's intense to read about uh and then sarah Pauly, who used to act and went into directing i just read an article by her that's really interesting and kind of gets at some of what you're just saying like recognizing how oppressive it was to be in these situations and then she turned to directing and realized well on the other side like you have there are all these other options mm-hmm. um Oh, interesting. Work within a system. So, I don't know. She's, it's a very thoughtful uh, essay that she's read or wrote. Um, the other thing I keep thinking about is how certain actors in Hollywood or actresses in Hollywood, like Rose McGowan, Ashley Judd, women who've spoken out have had this kind of, well, she's just crazy kind of, there's all this background noise with them. They don't get the work they used to get because they're crazy. And now I'm wondering, like, well, maybe they were crazy because they said, no, you can't do this to me. And that in and of itself is enough to be labeled as, you know, a crazy troublemaker. Right. Um, All these women who even argued with Paltrow. Yeah. Yeah. You can almost lump her into that. And then you look at, like, Angelina Jolie as well. All of these women who have such difficult reputations are the ones who now... Um, come out. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like they, they were all, you know, uh, that's the that is their, that's the backdrop to their celebrity. Is that well, you know, there, there's some way in which they're crazy. Oh, that's so sad. Um, and so yeah, I mean, here in Chicago, I think that people. I mean, I've been talking about it. I don't know that it's. Um, I would say it's probably I- definitely not as big of a conversation as it is in Hollywood. I think it's something that people have like brought up, um, just kind of on the side. It's like, oh yeah, and can you believe this thing that's happening in Hollywood? Um, truthfully, for like my pop culture of the thing of the week, it's a little bit different, and I think um, a little bit more light is like the Cubs being in the the postseason again. <laughs> that has like taken over my life once more. Um, and I got to go to my first ever postseason baseball game on Wednesday. And, um, it's just like a different feeling like, like October baseball, just, it's so intense and there's so much stress and, and so it's just been like really fun to be back in that. Um, I'm also getting no work done, but it is fun. So that's like my pop culture thing of the week. (laughs) My other pop culture thing is... I don't know if either of you watch. Well, I know Annie watches Blackish. I don't know, Denise, if you watch Blackish or if you've seen the episode from this past week. I didn't but watch it. It's outstanding. Every single episode of Blackish I watch and I like immediately want to rewatch, which for a half hour like sitcom, I think is really impressive. But this one tackles um, postpartum depression. Oh, interesting. It's so powerful. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, Tracy Ellis Ross is so incredible as an actress. And it's sad that other, like, because she was huge on Girlfriends on UPN. 
And then it felt like there was very little for about 10 years. And I know she's gotten critical acclaim for Blackish, but I'm like, that was a wasted chunk of time. And I'm upset <laughs> retroactively. Yeah, I don't watch that. I've heard good things about it, so maybe I should somehow. There's too much TV. How are we supposed to catch up? You can't catch up. It's hard. It's so hard to watch TV. There's too much. Agreed. <sighs> too real. Too so, real. I've been getting Ugh. really into the newsroom, and like that's taking up all my time. Now I don't even know which one. What is that? The newsroom? It's an HB. It's the old. Oh, the old, the, the, um, the drama. Sorry. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah, okay. I was like, I thought that was new. See, and this is it. You don't even, it's not even new shows that you can catch up no. on. It's the old shows you can go and find, which is part of how there's so much TV. It, yes. Yeah, I, I did watch that. That was fun. And then it got, and then it sort of got not so much fun. But I did enjoy it for a, a good while. Yeah, the first season was, like, incredible. I would say, like, seasons two and three is, like, a lot of, TV shows do they kind of like try to outdo themselves and then they're no longer believable you know like then they have these like crazy story arcs and you're like why don't you just do what you do best <laughs> um anyway I haven't been season two I think so I don't yeah so oh. you're, uh, stamina. <laughs> okay well we should get ta- started talking about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang I have lots of feelings but before we get started, um, Denise, would you be able to give us a brief synopsis of the movie? I can try. For <laughs> um, <laughs> somebody who's taught film classes, this is always my weak spot. Um, the story. Okay. Well, basically, there's a um, wacky inventor played by Dick Van Dyke who um, stumbles into some success because of a failed a lollipop recipe, right? And refurbishes an old car. Somehow, miraculously, refurbishes an old car that can do wonderful things. And adventures ensue. So he has two children. There's a love interest. Um, he has a wacky grandfather. His father, his his wife's father. I'm not sure exactly how they're related because he has an English accent and Dick Van Dyke doesn't. But <laughs> So um, that doesn't really say much about the story, but it's not... The story, I think, is incidental to the various adventures that they have, and then they have to. Then he has to get his children back because they're kidnapped by a crazy king. Yes. By a crazy. I'm so bad. Can somebody else fix that? No, that was beautiful and very well done. But also, this movie just like doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I feel like it's hard to, you know, give a synopsis for a movie yeah. that's insane. It's basically, you know, it's wacky inventor and his adventures with his children and his love interest yeah Yeah, his name is truly scrumptious sorry like i have so many problems with this movie number one i find it so terrifying does anybody else find it scary yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent the child i remember the child catcher thing was scary terrifying yeah that's scary i think it particularly being scared because granted we grew up in suburban Chicago our parents my mom in particular was always like very pro us meeting and approaching strangers which is something that we've like really taken on as an identity yes but we were very close to like our neighborhood ice cream man yes we're like now as a 29 year old when I am in my childhood neighborhood and like 
Dennis Herman rolls through the neighborhood, if I, like, happen to be there, he recognizes us when we have conversations. Yes. <laughs> so it was like, so for, I think for us, it was also kind of a weird disconnect between our driving around giving out candy and stuff who might steal me, but then we know Dennis so well. Yes. It was weird. <laughs> Agreed. So it sort of undermined the fabric of your reality. Like, wait, should I not trust Dennis? Does, does yeah. Dennis have... Totally. <laughs> yeah. That is scary. scary. That's really scary. And I think, too, like, I remember, um, so the, the child catcher was, like, terrifying. But I also didn't understand, like, why the queen hated children, like, quite so much. Um and now that I'm a teacher, I understand, no, not at all. But, um, you know, it's like she, her her hatred of children is so real that she wants to have all the children in this country of Bulgaria shut away, you know? it's it, All of it was very strange to me. And somehow they all live in a cave, and that works. Yes. <laughs> okay. Right? But I was, um, I was curious enough, well, I watched it again because it's been a really long time since I've seen it and uh i didn't realize that it was written by ian fleming which explains truly scrumptious yes basically yeah child a children's book by ian fleming and adapted by roald Dahl. yes yeah Yeah. i saw that on imdb and i was like excuse me and then i was like oh okay in the heck (laughs) yeah that's exactly how i felt but then uh, as i i'm like oh okay i sort of get it you know, these disconnected adventures, the sort of mad inventor, like he's cute, I don't know, it's the, like he's Q's father or something. Right. You know? And this is the year, it's made the year after Casino Royale came out, which was a spoof of Ian Fleming's, um, you know, Bond story, Casino Royale. But it was just like, and you know, here's, it's sort of a piece with other 60s, like big cast, wacky, uh, you know, don't need to make an awful lot of sense, sense kind of comedies that were produced. And there's a number of them in England, but there's a whole bunch of them that come out in the sixties that kind of have this spoofy kind of, we don't really care about reality, which is fine. It's a comedy. We don't, you know, I'm not, right. I'm not dinging it for that, but there's like, you know, mad, 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 mad world and great race, which is another one that was a huge favorite of ours. Um, you know, so it's kind of a, it's kind of a, it's a sort of 60s style, I think, that um, didn't, didn't have any lasting influence. No. And <laughs> um, so it's really part of this kind of decade, I think, or at least around there. Oh, yeah. Well, because it's all those things, even... On different levels, like, I remember Fantastic Voyage, and there's similar elements in this whole idea that you travel to lands and you go through experiences that are so out of the ordinary. And I, to be honest, I wonder what that says about, like, the United States culturally in the 60s, that it was clearly so, everything felt so different and unique. This was, like, a way to navigate that. But even if you look more closely at films directly for children. I remember the Haley Mills film in search of castaways. Like in retrospect, that movie, we loved it because they travel everywhere and they have cool yes. adventures, but like it really makes no sense. Yes. None. How they hop from one place to another. 
yeah, and whatnot. Should, yeah. should you be saying you've got a car that flies and a car that... <laughs> that also... Boats. Yeah. It's a, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a, it's a plane, it's a boat, it's a, it's all of these things. Um, and it was... Wow, he restored that car and, like... <laughs> In a crazy way. Ten minutes of screen time. <laughs> yes. That doesn't... You know... It comes out of that garage in beautiful shape. So I'm... And a car. I love that car. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a gorgeous thing rolling around in that film. It's true. It's... Okay, can we talk about some of the um, musical numbers in this movie? <laughs> because, again, just like building on the weirdness of this, this movie, it's like this... The songs are so strange. And, like, here's the thing. I can still, to this day, and it's been a while since I've seen this movie, um, go, like, oh, you chitty, chitty, bang, bang, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, we love you. Like, that is just, yeah. like, part of yeah. who I am now, you know? It's, like, that's who I am. But, like, the truly scrumptious mm. song. And then the king and queen sing, like, this very strange, like, oh. somewhat sexual song. Uh. Oh, she's like in sort of S and M light kind of yes. like her weirdly Brunhilde dominatrixy whatever's going on with that outfit. And the fact that he hates her. <laughs> he hates her, yeah. He hates her? Oh, I don't remember that part. Yeah, he tries to keeps trying to kill her. That's right. Yeah. And then Well, and I feel like now there's, like, a larger argument to be made, too, like, knowing that it's Ian Fleming and, like, this connection between, like, both, like, sexualization of women but also, like, clearly hatred of them. <laughs> like, it's fascinating. <laughs> right. And here you've got a king and queen who, who have obviously decided to not have children, which seems to be contrary to the whole point of a king and queen. Right. Like, aren't they supposed to? Like, that... What, what... So there's all these ways in which the story takes you and to places that just did end like you're right. in all these cul-de-sacs of logic like there's no logic to their relationship there's no logic to the car there's no logic to um you know yeah i mean just truly in dick van dyke i don't do they are truly in and i can't even say his name he has some crazy name it's karatakis yeah, yeah. Pots? I feel like they never say his first name. He does. Okay, he does okay. once because I just rewatched it because I, like I said, it's been a long time. She says it one time. I'm like, oh, that's how you say it, but I can't do it again. Why do you think they take a Germanic feel to this movie, though? Yes. Like in, <laughs> like in terms of some of the outfits and the accents and even like the clocks, like. And the toys, it was the toys are all like these. Yes. Yeah, I don't. It's it's interesting because this was twenty plus years after the end of World War Two, and then I mean, again, it would still be like East Germany and West Germany. So I like there's like so many, and then again, actually back to Ian Fleming. I feel like that makes a little bit more sense. Yes. This movie is like so fetishy in a weird way like yes. it's fetishizing mm -hmm. very strong strong elements yeah. i don't know how the german thing i made its way 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, part of me thinks, well, it could be just, you know, about trade and who wanted them to film where and what they could afford or, um, or the original, I don't know what the original story, maybe it was just part of the original story. And there's that travelogue thing that's a huge part of, you know, big budget films in the 60s, or even now, like, you know, we'll go here, we'll go there, where haven't we been, you know? So, I don't know. I mean, now I sort of want to look at the original story, sort of, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I know, I it might be even sometime. weirder. It might. It's just, but the the creepiness of it, I think, maybe has more to do with Roald Dahl. Agreed. It would be interesting to see, like, what did what did Roald Dahl do to the Ian Fleming, like the the, the child catcher kind of the scary things, like the way that Roald Dahl could just sort of burrow into a child's mind <laughs> and find those things that they those levers to to switch. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, but then it's all, it all, all comes okay at the end, you know, um, I'm trying to think, does it, how does it fit against James and the Giant's Peach, which I have read too many times, <laughs> um, but you know, there's that kind of, it's a very English, there's something very English about it too, which is completely essentializing, but I'm just going to throw it out there, that kind of, mm. you know, snarky distrust of, of, uh, establishment kind of figures. I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, then, go ahead, weird, Eleanor. It's a really profoundly weird. It's weird. Oh, it's, it's weird. so strange. And I think what you're saying about Raul Dahl is so on point. Again, I mean, like, so I'm a fifth grade teacher. I don't love Raul Dahl. Like, I really don't. I personally don't read his books. And I don't really uh -huh. encourage my students to because I find them very scary. I don't, like, other than maybe um, the book about the giant, the BFG, uh -huh. and even that, like, it's a giant who's, like, kind of scary. He just is, like, Roald Dahl's a weird dude. And then you read his um, autobiography or, like, memoir called Boy, and you're, like, you were just a weird child yourself. Um <laughs> Like, he took, like, we always read this one part, and he stuck, he, like, has this thing with, like, candy, I feel like, and, like, toy makers and candy shops, and and uh -huh. he gives this, this time as a child where he found a dead mouse with his, like, school friends, and he went to their local candy store and dropped it in, like, the gobstoppers so that Ew. they could, like, freak out the woman who owned the candy store. And it's like, that's like a messed up. Like, you're a sociopath. Like, little kids don't do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's he's just very strange. And, and seeing now that he was a part of this, a big part of this movie, like, makes a lot of sense. He's a weirdo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just straight up, he's a weirdo. He's a weirdo. Right. He takes these things that children want to, love you know candy toys and he he you know he's like can you really trust them yeah to be what you, to, to give you what you want them to give you which in some ways is a very grown-up question but in other ways it's kind of um mean there's an element of mean agreed 
uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a generational thing too. Maybe we don't we don't like that to be coming at children in a way. But you know, he was writing at a very different time, so it's true. Uh, I don't know. I I'm wonder. Sort of thinking also about your. I'm sorry. The, no, no. Go ahead, please. About, um, just to give Dick credit, Dick credit, Dick Van Dyke some credit. <laughs> um, there's a name. He's so talented. Right. He's so talented um, that you forget how talented he is. Uh, but I was watching some of those dance, the 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 dance where he plays the doll. Just I think one of my yes. favorite parts, where she comes, you know, the Julie. Uh, what's her name? How Sally. Sally. Julie's yeah. is played by, by Sally Ann Howells, who I feel like always in this movie, I felt like it was supposed to be Julie Andrews and it wasn't. It was. Um, I just read it. It was, They offered her the role, but she thought it was too close to Mary Poppins. Oh, funny. And then what about Julianne or Sally actually took over from Ju Julie Andrews' um, Mary Poppins on stage. Oh. So like, they were going back and forth, it seems. Um Although Julie Andrews obviously, you know, haven't just ended up with a huge career. But uh, so she has a lovely voice and she's sort of a, she's really affecting, you know, like you just, she's very likable. Um, but, you know, God, he's just, I, he was so amazingly talented. Like just, and it was so easy. Like, and he was a really good actor. Like there's scenes with the children where he's, just, I mean, I just was watching. I'm thinking, oh my god! Every time I watch this guy do something, I think, wow, this guy is super talented. He is very talented. Well, he's both. He's charismatic and empathetic. Like he does so well in the scenes with the children because you have the sense that. And I think this is one thing that's always so interesting when you watch movies with strong actors, and then early on in their career and he does project such a sense of warmth to them and that's one of the things I always find fascinating like now it's interesting because more of what we consume as entertainment is long-form television or television series and then you get the sense that like obviously consistent long days on sets across years it would make sense that actors develop like genuine feelings towards the kids that they work with every day but then you think about something like this and obviously there is the pre-production period and the the rehearsal and design elements of it but then dick van dyke in any role he works in with children it feels immediate and i think that's why it comes across to audiences like oh like i am now in dick van dyke's realm like i am happy and also yeah. like i saw him perform in May or June this year, and it was so much fun. Like, he's, oh again, God. like, so charismatic. It was great. It was so great. And it he's, was like, really old now, event, isn't he? so great. Isn't he very he old now? One or 92. Yeah, he's 91 or 92. There's a documentary on HBO called, like, If You're Not Dead, Eat Breakfast or something. It's, like, that I don't think is the title, but it's something <laughs> like that. And it details of the older like 1950s 1960s stars who are still like crushing it in old age so it's like Betty White and 
Yeah. Norman Lear. And it's a documentary about their lives. And um, Dick Van Dyke plays a big part in it. Um, I remember hearing about that. It came out a little while ago. It sounded really good. Not great, but it's like an hour and 20 minutes of your life where you'll be like, I'm like happy now. And like it ends with Dick Van Dyke dancing. So you're like, cool. Like there's worse ways to spend my time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he was in those um, Night at the Museum. He was in a And he, again, like, wait, you can't make, he's so mean. Dick Van Dyke, how did he get to be so mean? But he, uh, you know, he's just, he's still, he can still crush it, as you say. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we are big Night at the Museum trilogy fans. Not uh, big fans of the trilogy. Uh, art. Well, it's even the final Night at the Museum, the one where they're in London. I remember because it was both, like, Robin Williams' last film and Mickey Rooney's last film. And then yes. I think we saw it on Christmas with our family. And, yes. like, Annie, my mom, and I were all on a line in the movie theater just, like, sobbing. Because we were, like, behind Mickey Rooney, behind Robin Williams. And it was, like, a lot. Yeah, it was. Uh, oh. Um, so much. Well, we should uh, actually... Gosh. Sorry, begin wrapping up because we've had a long awesome discussion about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang but uh, before we uh, move on to our final kind of segment um, the question that we always ask ourselves and our guests is whether or not children today should see this movie and if so why and if not why so like the relevance of the film today I don't know Uh, the relevance might be hard to keep it relevant because I tried to sort of bribe, cajole, you know, <laughs> nudge my daughter into just no seeing it. Um, completely disinterested in seeing it. So, I don't know. If you can't get people to watch it, it's, it's going to be hard to keep it relevant. I don't know. And it also seems to have just faded from kind of consideration. I don't know. Is it out there? I feel like people, I want us to see some more adults of my age. If someone, like, I enjoy Mary Poppins, but I don't consider myself to be like a Mary Poppins, like, diehard. There are those Mary Poppins diehards. Granted, will I see the Lemon while Miranda one, like, on opening day? Absolutely. But for people who are diehard Mary Poppins fans, I often find that they also have a, like, deep connection to Chitty Chitty Bang Bang more in a positive light than I do. Um, I would say this is a film for me that I wouldn't recommend to children just in large part because like I do not want to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) And I... (laughs) What a great explanation, yes. You know what I mean? Like, as... Like, there's obviously moments of value, and there's interesting... I mean, even right now, I'm like, oh, like, if if I had to write a paper about it, I'm like, there's so much I think that could be said about, like, larger arguments about the sociocultural political context of the time. Like, that would be interesting, and I would, like, enjoy reading or discussing that more. But watch it. And so I would have a hard time being like, children of the future. 
watch. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if I can't watch it, I'm not going to make anybody else watch it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I'm in the same place. Like, very frequently, I, like, when we talk about this question, I ask myself, like, what I played in my classroom, you know, if it was a rainy day and we couldn't go outside for recess. And I think that, like, I would very much say no to this movie. Um <laughs> Because, number one, it scares me, but number two, I think that the questions that would come out of it, I wouldn't want to answer. You know what I'm talking about? Like, Miss Huntington, like, why are they doing this or this or this? Or, like, why is she named Truly Scrumptious? Why does the car fly? There's just, like, it's so out there and crazy that I'd be spending the rest of my day trying to, like, calm them down, you know? Um, Not winding them up. Right. So it just, like... Oh, it's so long. It's over two hours long. It's 145 minutes. Oh, but I have to mention, um, just to acknowledge the fabulous grandpa character. Yes. Like Lionel Jeffries, who steals every moment that he's on screen. He just takes it and runs away with it. I just love, I mean, I kind of love him. He was ubiquitous in English films sort of during the 60s, or it feels like he was. And he just plays this kind of type that, Anyway, he's just, he's so much fun, the crazy eccentric. Yes, agreed. Um, they're really invested in their eccentrics uh, in this world. And you know, like the idea of English eccentricity, and he kind of embodies it. Um, but he's loads of fun, especially when he, you know, he's, he flies away in the outhouse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just this odd, odd moment. Like, it's so odd. Like, he's in a flying outhouse. Yeah. It's it's yeah. all so odd. Terrible. Yeah. Okay. No, it is. <laughs> I feel like this is the first movie that we've talked about where all three people have been like, maybe not. <laughs> I know, well, part of I was trying to think about why I had such affection for this film. Um, and part of it, I think, has to do with the fact that when I watched it, I would get the TV to myself. <laughs> which... which which is a big deal. Like, I grew up, I have, there was, you know, I grew up in a big family. We only had the one television. It was before, you know, you could do anything to save anything to watch later. Um, and so my brothers certainly weren't interested in watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. It wasn't like the family movie. We would all watch The Great Race. We would all watch, um, you know, The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming. You know, And this was when, you know, movies would just show up on a Friday night on ABC maybe, or Saturday right. night on. Um, and so I would get to stay up late. My mom would let me watch it because it's a children's show or a children's movie. So I could, you know, have the TV to myself and control it in splendid isolation, which just did not happen all that often. But now I think, like, nobody else wanted to watch it. That's <laughs> definitely like, what was no, happening. Like, you can have that one, Denise. We're good. I'm like, but, you know, was part, I think that was part of the pleasure for me was... Yeah, the ownership of it. I, I owned it. I owned it. Um, yeah. And yeah. I feel like this is, I just to, I feel like this is not giving Dick Van Dyke his credit, but it is a weird movie. He's, he's marvelous, but I think part of it was that I, I got to, I got to own it. I got that TV. It was mine for a little while. <laughs> yes. Good for you. But I also feel like that's definitely because no one else wanted to watch it. <laughs> it might be. It might be. <laughs> so funny. 
Um, okay, so our last segment here on Good Film Hunting is to pick a place in the world, anywhere in the world we'd want to go right now, and why. Cool. Well, you guys go. I just, I was just thinking. So let me, I'll think about that for a second. Eleanor, you have a place? I feel like I had one and now it's lost, but um, I was talking to people about like Prague this week. And so Prague, for really no other reason than it's like, I had a conversation about it recently and I haven't been. <laughs> and there's a whole Bavarian theme kind of with the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So maybe it's there. It's true. Yes. It's true. Yeah. Mm. Um, I want to, I would like to go someplace where leaves are changing. Is that happening somewhere? Yes. In oh, Chicago. No, like, so this time of year. Wouldn't that be nice? The leaves yes. do not change in San Diego. There's a few <laughs> trees, but <laughs> you have to. They're singular. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah. Maybe somewhere that's crisp and cool and the leaves are changing. That would be nice. Come to Chicago. Um, I think that if I could go anywhere right now, I would go to New Zealand. It's I've been saying this for, like, weeks now. I just, like, New Zealand's really high up on my list. And I mm-hmm. would just love to go hiking <laughs> and be outside. Yeah. It's supposed to be beautiful, right? I mean, just... Yes. Mm-hmm. Eleanor's been, but... Oh, really? Yeah. I've seen all the Lord of the Rings, so... You've essentially been. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, the same. Yeah. Ugh. Gorgeous. Yes. I'll have to go. Anyway, Denise, thank you so much for joining us. This was absolutely delightful. Um, we'll have to have I'm you truly on again. Scrumptious. <laughs> truly scrumptious. Yes. Yes. I'm not going to forget that name. I can't believe I forgot that name. I know. But it's back. Right. That's crazy. It's back. Yeah. It is crazy. But anyway, um, thank, thank you, you so much for joining us. We had thank you for having me. Wonderful I'll time. Come back anytime. We can talk about The Great Race. Oh, yes, please. Yes. That's a great movie. I do enjoy that movie more than Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Well, it's, yes, so do I, actually, I have to say. Isn't that, okay, there's several movies about races and stuff from that time. Is The Great Race the one that became, it's um, Rat Race in the early 2000s, or was that It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World? Because they, like, definitely remade it, and it had Mr. Bean and Whoopi Goldberg, and it was, like, not great, but, like, also enjoyable. (laughs) That sounds like it might be more Mad Mad World, which is the uh, treasure hunt movie. Yes. It's like someone like drops like a million and then it's like go forth. Yes, which another another huge cast. I mean Spencer Tracy and Jonathan Winters and Yes. yes. With the possibly one of the funniest scenes of all time with Jonathan Winters destroying a gas station. Yes. You have, yeah. you have to see it's just I, lo- I lose it every time I watch it. It's so funny. It never fails to be funny. Oh, we um, definitely have to talk about it. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so, so, so much. We look forward to having you again. Listeners, find us on all your favorite podcast platforms. We're on Instagram and Facebook um, and email and Twitter. So reach out to us. Bye, everybody. Thanks for coming again, Denise. Oh, thank you. Bye.